and I will let you know when we're live. All right. It says we're live. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Film Trooper Presents Film Marketing Fridays. And we have a sponsor for today's show or episode. Um, it's Spielberg. No, not really. It's uh, <laughs> But a famous quote uh, made by Steven Spielberg about two years ago. He, met, he said that there's going to be an implosion. Mega budget movies are going to go crashing to the ground, and that's going to change the paradigm. So the question is, if the implosion is real, then how do you survive it? Well, today uh, it's sponsored by the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> I can't even pronounce it. I wrote it. So <laughs> it's How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. It's available now on Amazon um, in a paperback format, audiobook, as well as a Kindle format. And you can get that at survivetheimplosion.com. With that said, um, we're moving into today's topic, which is what if you don't take your film to a festival? And this, was, uh, this question was brought up based off the last episode that we did uh, last Friday with um, Brian Patrick over at Skyline uh, Indie Festival, Indie Film Festival out in um, uh, West is in Virginia. Oh my God, I'm freaking out. That, that West Virginia, North, North Carolina. I'm sorry, I just freaked, I just lost it. But I'm, I'm joined today by Ulrich Bursell, who's a filmmaker. Um, you're down in the Bay Area, aren't you? Or where, yeah, yeah, Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area. Yep. Right. Normally, we have video when we do these uh, Google Hangout sessions, and uh, we were kind of stumbling and fumbling with the technical stuff. So we're able to at least we saw. I was able to see Ulrich, but we I couldn't hear him. So we had to switch over to another computer that doesn't have a webcam. So at least we can see him and we can see his picture. So as he speaks, there's a sound wave that pumps off. You know, from it. Um, Arik, once you, um, I want to share some with people this short film over on Vimeo. It's called uh, St Strange Thing. And I want to make sure people can see this. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Sweet. Come on. Okay. It's happening. You should be able to see that. Yeah, I see the page there. Yeah. Okay, cool. You're what you don't know. Okay, so. This is a really cool film. You were an official selection at the Toronto After Dark Film Festival, an official selection at the Morbido. How do you pronounce that? At Morbido, I think. Morbido Film Fest. Yeah. And part of the daily short picks at filmshortage.com. It's very cool. So I will make sure to leave uh, show notes to your film. But this, but strange thing totally reminded me of like a callback to like um, uh, Twilight Zone. And other, you know, other goodies like that. So it was very well done, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. So um, let's see here. With that said, throw back uh, to my big fat head. But, you know, Ulrich, you had um, emailed me after last episode, which was the title of that uh, session was, as I click over here, uh, the last session with um, Brian Patrick was... Film festivals, yay or nay? And um, it was really just a discussion of trying to find out the incentives between the filmmakers and the film festival directors and people that put on film festivals to, to make sure that there's a convergence or uh, so there's not like um, 
you know, shared interest. And it was really helpful to go through that session to really get the behind the scenes uh, perspective of a film festival director and what they look for, as opposed to the filmmaker who um, has different needs. And, but the reality was, um, based off the conversation that we've had, Ulrich, was simply, okay, so what if you don't take your film to a film festival? I mean, what are the benefits there? And that's what we're going to discuss in today's uh, episode. Um, I will jump on to the next slide again as I fumble my way here. We'll just get right into the, the question. Uh, let's see here. Let's go over the incentive of the filmmaker since we're all here. Um, the idea is to be seen if, you know, if you're going to a film festival, you know, what do you want to get out of being at a film festival as a filmmaker? You want to be seen or your movie you want to be seen. You want to sell the film. You know, that's the dream anyway. That's the, the desire. You want to build your industry, industry relationships. Um, essentially, you're trying to look for other money people, you know, <laughs> people that will see your film, that will invest in the next film. You want to make more films is why you're going to these film festivals. You want to be recognized. You want to have your day in the sun. I mean, you've worked so hard to make your film. It's nice to be, you know, to get audience feedback and hopefully win an award or two. Um, but it's definitely me-centric uh, in terms of the filmmaker's perspective, which is fine as long as we know what game we're playing, what our incentive is. So the bigger question out of this is, okay, just a recap of what the incentive is for the, uh, the film festivals. So a lot of film festivals, now we're going to be talking really about festivals that are outside the big, you know, the main festivals we always hear about in the trade papers, so Sundance, uh, Toronto, Tribeca, even the even like South by Southwest are, has gotten huge, or even Seattle International Film Festival. But essentially, a the incentive of a film festival is to provide a cultural event for the community. Uh, their incentive is to whoever's organizing these festivals. Sometimes it's really just a to op, an opportunity to leverage the event for future public service opportunities. Uh, because it brings the community together, maybe some industry uh, leaders in the political space, uh, in your local government or, you know, the local community. And this is an opportunity to sort of uh, further those opportunities. Um, they could be mostly they start these things because they're a lover of independent film. Um, some of them just want to meet stars, movie stars or anything like that. But there's also there's a, a chance to like say, hey, maybe we can find the next big thing. You know, so those are very crude sort of incentives of the film festival but you you can see where where their where their head is in terms of headspace is in terms of why they put on a festival and where the headspace is for the filmmaker and sometimes you can see where they're at odds so the question is can you recreate this online i'm going to go back real quick the incentive of the filmmaker Okay, so we look at the incentive of the filmmaker. If this is why you're bringing your film to a film festival in the, in the first place, to be seen, to sell your film, to build the industry relationships, to make more films, to be recognized, to have your day in the sun. Can this same incentive be recreated online where you're not going to a film festival? So with that said, here's the story of the Thomas Beale Cipher. Um, this is short. Are you familiar with this, Arik? I 
think I'm familiar with this mainly because um, I think this is the same thing that is featured on um, Short Film of the Week's website. Yes. Um, yes. And I read this whole article on their website about what this film did. And, you know, I think this is one of the filmmakers are one of the people who started Short Film of the Week, I believe, or they're somehow related. But um, but yeah, anyways, I mean, I read this article and I was like, oh, OK, well, maybe maybe I don't even need to go the film festival route on the next project, you know? Yeah, but, yes. Um, so let's take a look at this. Um, sure. I can I can jump over to the actual site. So for, so we can kind of go through this um, this blog post that was put on. Uh, first of all, the film was really cool. It was like a 15 minute uh, animated film, very stylistic. And um, it, there was a lot of like hidden clues. It's, it was meant for you to think. It was like a mystery to kind of uh, piece these things together. I'm not going to, you know, blow it for you, but I want to just get onto this article here. Okay, so you can see that. So in this article written by Andrew S. Allen, who also created the film, uh, the Thomas Beale Cipher, and this is a fantastic, very short blog post, which I will make sure to leave in the show notes as well so you can read this yourself. Um, but first, his background was that, you know, they spent like 18 months um, with a cast and crew. He just, you know, labored over this 15-minute uh, short film. And then he spent eight months in the film festivals where they picked up a few awards along the way. Um and he had, this is way back in 2011. So we're talking four years ago. This is ha this happened four, three years ago. And uh, Andrew in this article essentially says, like, I was kind of reluctant to put my film online because, you know, the dream was to play out the film festival route. But once they decided to release the film online, they had a launch plan. And this is really important because any product or any product or service or anything that you're trying to get uh, traction on um, from online audiences, you need to have a launch plan. And this is true for any business, whether or not you're selling like uh, fruit smoothies or you know, you're selling like, the next Taekwondo class or something like that. You need to have a launch plan uh, to generate the interest and then capitalize on that um, swell of um, heat of, of interest in what you're promoting. Um, and then convert as many as people as you can to eventually what you're selling or if you're trying to build a following and so on. So Andrew in this blog post here does a fantastic job talking about this launch plan. They knew they were going to go to Vimeo uh, because it had a stronger filmmaking community than YouTube because uh, they're trying to, you know, grassroots style. They knew they were going to post early. This is really clever. Start early in the morning to allow, you know, traction of the film um, as it was uploaded. Uh, they use short of the week as a springboard. And this, and this is actually really interesting because this concept of uh, using like short of the week or anything that sort of like highlights, um, you, you know, a very specific type of film, the same premise could be used uh, if you're going to use an aggregator and you're going to pay an aggregation fee and you want to get your film on iTunes. Um, you know, they have like this very short window of like new releases, new indie releases or new and noteworthy. Uh, usually you have to have a, a working relationship with a strong aggregator or distributor to get sort of those that placement. But if you were able to garner enough pre-sales, enough interest on your own, um, perhaps that aggregator that you paid for that you use their service could give you a good uh, word in to like iTunes or Amazon 
to help boost your placements in the shelf space when people are looking through new and noteworthy. But you got to take advantage of that opportunity. I know it works for uh, those people that are putting out podcasts on iTunes. iTunes, for some reason, has this like new and noteworthy um, window for like eight weeks. So within the first eight weeks you launch, if you can garner a lot of subscriptions, a lot of ratings and reviews, and just a lot of downloads, um, you'll get, you know, the search engines sort of automatically take over in those different platforms, Amazon, iTunes, and they'll put your uh, independent, um, you know, content, piece of content amongst some of the, some of the top, you know, downloaded uh, shows, uh, you know, available. I know that works for podcasts. I think this, it works very similar to uh, the iTunes movie, you know, um, window, because obviously everything that comes up either on Amazon, um, yeah, iTunes, um, even Hulu, there's always like this new, new releases or new, you know, new noteworthy type thing. So it's very interesting that Andrew in this particular film for even a short film took advantage of the short of the week. So he wanted to make sure that he got as many eyeballs and downloads and views on his film within this constructs of uh, the short of the week. So We'll go back to that uh, screen real quick again. Okay, share that. So he, he was very, very intentional using the short of the week as a springboard. He harnessed his crew, basically everybody he knew to get as many people to share and post and repost uh, the film, uh, you know, to try to, you know, just catch, you know, catch wind or catch fire. Um, then they were very, 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 very smart by targeting key influencers, um, you know, by um, by allowing this swell of interest um, and bringing it to um, key influencers, other bloggers. And they talked about it here in this uh, in this blog by Andrew that he crafted a very good email. Like they spent time crafting very good emails so that it's compelling that they they gave some sort of unique spin or or value and made it easy for the blogger like they say right here make it easy for the blogger to turn around and publish everything that they uh, presented to them uh, you're trying to make the job of the bloggers the influencers uh, so easy that they'll be like willing to like sure you know thank you for all the information you've sent me in this email boom I'll you know I'll throw it up to my audience and see where it goes from there and then they say, look, you got to be persistent all day, all week, just to reach out to as many new people as possible. So then the release. So what happens in the release based off this blog post is, you know, they had a strategy on Monday. They posted to Vimeo on Motion Grapher and they got onto Vimeo staff picks. Uh, on Wednesday, they went to Gizmodo, Metafilter, Boing Boing. Uh, then Thursday, Daily Watt what and they got fast company interviews so all this stuff happened within the one week span and eventually got to the wired article which is amazing so this thing i'm going to see if i can zoom into this this graph of theirs um just showing the the amount of traffic they did in two weeks so as you can see like in one week they were able to get onto vimeo staff pick uh they they hammered got you know were able to get uh picked up by gizmodo boing boing this is what we talk about influencers they took the time to craft a very smart email to convince and make it easy for some people that are working bloggers that are working on these um major blog uh, blog sources like gizmodo and vimeo and fast company and whatnot um as you see there's a a big surge within the first week 
almost 400 uh, views, 400,000 views within the first week. And then it kind of trickles off from there. So as we scroll down, this is, uh, I'm going to run it down to this. This is a great graph that they made. So to answer your question, Ulrich, it's so great because it's, <laughs> you, I know you read this, but for those who are looking at it for the first time, so how does this compare to their festival run? In eight months, they got about 3,000 views um, when they ran the festival. 3,000 views versus in about two weeks if or in a week's time, they got over 170,000 views on their film. Media impressions. Eight months in the film festival world, they only got 12 media impressions, uh, you know, like bloggers or anybody posting or writing about their film. Within the one week, two week span, they've got 1,300 media impressions by doing this online. And this is probably the biggest kicker here. They spent over $1,200 to submit to film festivals as well as do the travel expenses and so on over eight months, uh, you know, time duration. But when compared to the cost of what they put into their effort online, it was zero dollars. And then they they talk about here did they have any industry interest when they got done with their eight month um, film festival no but they got a lot of interest um online um, because it was an easy buzz and it was you know people were seeing this and then you know they got in industry interest as well as this a distributor interest all through um putting their efforts online so that's pretty pretty eye-opening and which makes it harder I think the film festivals have to, they have to become unique in themselves. And just like putting together a film festival for your local region um, may not be enough uh, to satisfy the, the incentive and the desires of filmmakers, especially if somebody can do this, you know, online in one week and not, and not spend any money. So uh, with that said, he goes on in this this whole um, blog post. Andrew does about it takes a lot of work. Uh, Facebook at that particular time was still the king, um, and uh, all this kind of stuff. And you know, capture fans. And he this is interesting because in this process, this is back in 2011. But he talks about capturing your fans, eventually setting up a link to their Facebook page. What I would recommend here, though, is that it doesn't look like in this blog post. I'm sure he's done it since then. You really want to not put all your eggs in the, on like one basket, like a Facebook page, like a Facebook page is there to help promote or share what you're working on, on your film, but you've got to get people back onto an email list. So you can, so you can harness that email list over time. Um, because Facebook rules change all the time. And so they may, you know, have may, you know, maybe earned a lot of Facebook fans or, or likes, but in order to reach them in any further posts, uh, now they have to pay. That's what happened like in a year ago is that um, Facebook changed this thing. So if you're if you're running a business or a fan page uh, in order to reach like, say, 35,000 people that you had on your fan book or your fan page, uh, you have to pay. You kind of have to pay to boost the post, any updates you have to the people that said they liked your stuff. So that's why it's really important not to build on rented land and why you need to like take the uh, momentum of Facebook, but offer a way for them to get off Facebook to go to your um, homepage and sign up for your email list. So with that said, yeah, this, yeah, this uh, is pretty eye-opening in terms of the questions you had sent me, Ulrich, about 
gosh, do I send my film? Because like you said, Strange Thing did well. You did the film festival thing, but you're wondering like, could I have done something different? And like you said, you've read this article before and that got you thinking like, do I even need to go to a film festival next time around? So um, I'm going to throw it back on you. Let's see if you have any other further thoughts about this. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I read that article and then that's exactly what I did. I did all the steps that you just went through is what I did when I launched Strange Thing Online is I, you know, I just basically followed that blog post. I wrote an email, you know, I sent it to probably like 150, 200 different blogs and writers, you know, trying to get them to write about the movie. And, um, you know, I did the Facebook thing. Um, and I, you know, I tried to utilize as many of the people on the crew who are willing to also talk about it on Twitter and Facebook. And at that point, it's like two years later, I mean, they'd all been to the cast and crew screening. They've all seen it multiple times. Like people were really exhausted of it by then. So <laughs> I don't really feel like I got as many people engaging with it, um, who were involved with the movie, but rightly so, cause they've already engaged with it like a ton by then. Um, but, uh, you know, even with all that, like I was still able to get, um, I got a, like, I don't know, maybe it was 10 to 15 different write-ups on different blogs um, during the re release of the film the first week or two. And then one of them was on a, a website called Movie Pilot, and that brought in 12,000 hits uh, two days in a row. So that was my big push, and that got us to about, like, you know, 26,000 or 28,000 within the first um, couple weeks. And then since then, it's just sort of been, like, a steady, like, you know, 10 five to 10 hits a day kind of thing. And, uh, you know, now it's at 34,000 hits, like, you know, five months later, um, which is pretty good. Like, I mean, I, you know, and compared to like what happened at the film festivals, I mean, I played about 20 film festivals over a year and I probably like similar to those numbers that you said, I think there's probably maybe 1200 people who saw the movie in that year, year's time versus yeah. Like, you know, 12,000 in one day, it's like pretty crazy, you know? But, yeah. but then the other question I'm asking myself is like, okay, well, is part of the reason why people wrote about the movie because it played 20 film festivals and that was part of my email is that I was play, I played at Toronto After Dark and I played at, you know, Arizona International and I played at, you know, the Boston Science Fiction Film Festival and all these different places. Like, is that part of the reason why people were willing to write about it and while people, people were interested in the movie? Like, would it be the same effect if I had, like, just no film festivals, no, no buzz about it at all. I also had some reviews from some film festivals, which I was able to like link to in, in some of my, my, the content that I would send out, you know, but I mean, without any of that, with nothing, with just the movie, would I still be able to get people to talk about it and to, to watch it? Like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe not, you know? Um, and, I, and that goes for the blog post too, because they had already been at like, yes, Seattle International Film Festival, which is like, you know, way bigger film festival than any of the ones I played. So, yeah. I mean, would that, would that still have worked if they hadn't gone to the film festivals first? Like maybe not, you know, you don't really know. Um, so it's interesting to think about, you know? Yeah. You actually bring up a very good question. Cause you were saying like in the emails you constructed and based off the blog post uh, written by Andrew uh, Allen S Allen, um, he mentions like, you know, whatever that be interesting to see how he crafted his email to these influencers, to Gizmodo, to Wired, you know, if, if, if indeed that he reached out to Wired magazine and so on, wired.com, um, where like yourself in your email to these influencers, uh, bloggers, 
um, by mentioning the fact that it went to X amount of film festivals or won an award at like, like for instance, for this particular case, the Thomas Beals uh, Cipher, you know, being at the Seattle uh, International Film Festival. The reason that works um, could be is that being accepted to a number of film festivals, um, you know, more than one, obviously, uh, if it's and if any of them are prominent and if you want any awards or something like that, psychologically, that just works for the blogger or the influencer to know there's social proof. There's some validation or somebody's already taken the time to curate to say to put like a little like a star on what you've done so that, you know, psychologically, they're like, OK, that's some validation. So say you didn't have any of that, like say the strange thing, you went cold. So the tricky thing is as for marketing, it's just a matter of how you communicate and put together your message that um, when you reach out to influencers, um, looking for some kind of unfair advantage. When I had um, Chris Reed on a couple of weeks ago, uh, work, he's a digital marketer for um, Red Bull. He was talking about this thing that marketers talk about and business people talk about, which is the unfair advantage. So you have to get really creative. Okay, so let's imagine strange, strange things. A short film, um, you know, harkens back to like the sci-fi thriller style of like Twilight Zone. And you're kind of going, okay, I've got no like social proof unless I build my own social proof. Um, so you would maybe have to construct that maybe with the cast and crew and all their families. So the, the concept is like you would build a, uh, a launch group of some sort of like say a hundred people, 50 people. And you have to give them very specific things they're going to do. Are they, when this thing is released or prior to release, are they going to leave a ratings and review, um, during the short of the week or on Vimeo or on, you know, YouTube, uh, just to, um, and you have to kind of construct a, how you want this thing to play out. And then in exchange, you have to give them something, um, a value that they would be like, oh yeah, okay. My incentive is I'll help you, and and they're 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 jazzed about helping you out. It's sort of a, in a way like a crowdfunding campaign. I mean, crowdfunding campaigns are basically launches. So with uh, Andrew's film, they talked about the launch, like what you like as you were talking about your launch online, like the whole series of things you have to do and how much time it takes up and how much energy because you you need to keep you know hitting that anvil while you know while the anvil's hot you know bong bong go for it so the trick is the crafting of the email to these influencers or reaching out to them um if you were able to generate um some other sort of social proof or validation um and you didn't have any because you didn't go in like if you didn't go the film festival route so say strange thing Happened, you know, I, I'm not sure. Where did you guys shoot this? Up in Oakland, was it? Yeah, in Oakland. It was all in Oakland. I shot in my apartment um, mostly and then also in a, a park uh, just, you know, about 10 minutes from here, which was pretty awesome. Okay. So uh, this is like a hypothetical, right? Say you start local. Say, and but, you know, because Oakland Bay Area is a big city. It's not like you're living out in some little town, you know. So you right. have, because you're in there locally, perhaps there are some people that uh, write about, you know, local independent film or independent film and you do some research on that particular influencer and you maybe they had a story they wrote a story about the park that you actually shot in you know something like you know this is the famous park that somebody got murdered or i don't know maybe like or they they proposed to their you know fiance at that very park you know 
I, I'm what I'm saying is like you have to when you don't have uh, when you're starting from scratch, you you have to get really creative in the way that you uh, create this unfair advantage or connection. So when you write the email, you know maybe you're just very selective and saying, okay, I'm going to target five of the local um, press people that talk about independent film, or 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 maybe they don't talk about independent film. Maybe they talk about science fiction, you know, books and everything like that. So what is their bi background biography? Is there something that in their in their life story that I can connect with? Maybe they know somebody that I didn't even know until I read about them. Like, oh, I don't know that they went to the same barber as I did. So something like that, where you craft an email, it's like a, being at a party. You know, somebody gets an email, and if you can break the ice with some immediate sort of connection, and they're like, oh, okay, so I okay, I can connect with this person, and it's uh, it's all about the cop you know, the power of copywriting, even in the email. If you can convince that influencer that you have something of value, you have some sort of unfair advantage with your project, with your short film or feature film, uh, that's how you would um, get around and get creative uh, around the aspect if you never took your film to a film festival. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. so it's, a good idea. Yeah. So it's really funny. It's simple, but it's not easy. Like, you know, this is why the marketing industry is worth $62 billion because it's something that everybody and every company keeps hammering at. You know, sometimes they, something they do takes off and it does really well. Like the marketing message, everything, the product, everything fits well. Other times they did, they miss. So it's just, you know, just because you did it once doesn't mean it's going to work the second time around. But for anybody out there trying to figure out like, Oh, Hey, Okay, I'm not going to take my film to a film festival, but how, what value do those laurel leaves and awards do you know do me if I'm trying to you know what is my result? What is what do I want to get out of this? Do I want to just get enough um, eyeballs on it so I can get feedback so I can become a better filmmaker, or do I need to have you know enough enough views so that industry people take notice so that I can possibly get another job or they you know I get funding for my next film? So the thing about yeah, so the thing about that is I'll jump onto the next slide because that kind of leads into this question you had about, you know, what's the best way if you make a short film to get funding to make either the next film or make it into a feature film, which is a lot of, it's the same, you know, same question a lot of filmmakers have of like, okay, I got my short, you know, how do I make it, you know, get the money to make the feature, um, you know. We all can't be the filmmaker of whiplash, but there's some things that we can learn from that. But <laughs> right, right. So here we go. Let's see this this one here. Um, I'll shoot over this screen here. Okay, cool. So you see this? Yeah, right. Sundays. Yeah, Sundays. All right. So you know that's about this? Big, so. That's a big example. Yeah. Yeah. So this was an article that happened back in March, um, like uh, March 27th. Um, so this particular film is a short film called Sundays, and it's like way over the top, high end, you know, visual effects uh, story. And so I'm going to jump over to uh, uh, let's see here the actual article on that I remember reading. It was on the the Verge. All right, so this sci-fi, uh, this it was a dark sci-fi film, and it got a movie deal. Um, but there's a lot of things that went into it. There was a crowdfunding campaign. Um, it was uh, created by uh, some industry, you know, professionals that were trying to get a concept, you know, made to get sold. So they already had 
uh, at least an opportunity to be uh, connected to the right influencers. They just had to bring to the table a really fantastic concept. And that's what this movie, the short film Sundays, was all about. Um, they raised like over $50,000 back in 2012, uh, his production company, Post Panic. And in this process of raising that money, they went to Mexico City and created this insane uh, visual effects film that landed them a deal to make, you know, uh, the next film. Uh, this is very reminiscent of, I can't remember the fellow's name, but the guy um, uh, who did uh, Dracula Untold um, a couple years, you know, a couple months ago, uh, that that particular director a couple of years ago had did this like visual effects short film with like steampunk and samurais and that kind of stuff. And it was an example of like the kind of visual effects that could be done on, on, on a cheap. It was really to help one of his friends out, I think in their, their visual effects production company kind of show off a really cool demo reel. But that led him over time to meet with the right producers, right money people to the eventually made Dracula untold. Um, the same, you know, the other famous story that we can go back and, you know, that everybody can point to is Neil Blomkamp. So of um, District 9, obviously he had this very uh, famous short film years ago that led to the development of the feature film District 9 and then, uh, you know, and so on to his Hollywood career. So there is something to be said where you make a really nice short film that that gives you the opportunity to meet people or gain interest that can allow to a deal um right well my question just going back to sundays is uh yeah. i don't know if you did a little more research but what i found out was that that director already had an agent before the movie was released online yeah um and so i don't know if that agent came before the kickstarter or after the kickstarter or some way somewhere within the process of making the movie but i kind of feel like you know it that was some sort of big, like, you know, it must've been like some sort of marketing construction, like that the agent was involved in to like get that movie to go viral and therefore get in the deal. You know, um, it just seems like it wasn't necessarily organic. Like he must've had a team working together to, to make that happen. Like, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it just seems like, you know, it just seemed too perfect. It's like, Oh, he releases this movie online. It gets 300,000 hits. And then within like, you know, three days or whatever, he's got like a movie deal, you know? And it yeah. feels like, without the agent is that going to even happen like i don't know well he was already um misha rosema his name is um like i said he's already he was already working in the industry and it was something that uh is not only him but some other guys like there there's what's happening is that the studios even though there might be industry professionals for years that have been worked on like big budget films um they they have to get creative they already they already might have an agent in place and so the new strategy plan is like look let me just build let me raise the money and do the concept film and then in the process of uh, doing that concept film we can get a deal going so the thing is interesting because i don't know you know all the back end but it doesn't wouldn't surprise me is as they're making this particular film they had dailies you know that they could show the agent and the agent could help you know like let's start getting some talks going so then the studios knew that they got this short film that, that was being made. So it's the same principle because it's the, this, the same concept that's being taught to all those Uber independent filmmakers right now, which is you got to start the buzz early. You've got to build your audience. You got to build awareness. 
uh, where we're trying to work directly to, with an audience, um, if the difference is this particular filmmaker, his audience was the studio system. So he, you know, he only had to go to, you know, um, focus on working on a few influencers with the help of his agent, you know, cause the agent needs to land a big deal, you know? So they're going to be like, what's the incentive of the agent? The agent needs their client to land a big deal so they can get their payday. So they're going to be, you know, there's, if you can build a team like that where everybody's incentives are in alignment with each other so that, you know, everybody can have a win-win uh, solution here. Um, you're right. It, it worked for his, like, you know what? His unfair advantage was that he had an agent and then he had Hollywood connections enough to say, look, I will do the hard work of working with a production company and visual effects company to make this concept piece and bring it to the table. You know, in reality, you know, look at George Lucas. I mean, that's what he had to do with Star Wars. So he had made THX 1138, but it was he was it was really his opportunity to, to do American Graffiti that you know brought him all this uh, attention, allowed him to get into those doors to present Star Wars, and he had to utilize Ralph McQuarrie's uh, artwork to sell this world that, in order to help the um, the studios understand, you know what he what what kind of film he wanted to make. Now, the reality of that particular case years ago was a lot of the studios passed, and that's okay because it only takes one. It only takes one person to say yes, and that was 20th Century Fox, Alan Ladd, I think, Jr. So for the uber-independent filmmaker, this is kind of funny because it kind of leads right into this next slide of mine. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Okay. If you can see that. Uh, there, it only takes one. <laughs> it only takes it. So this is the, the, the thing you got to wrap your head around. You make a short film. If you got to go to film festivals to find that one person, that one investor to allow to invest in you to make the, 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 it, it into a feature film or the next film, then that's okay. You might get 99 rejections, but if you get one person to say yes, then that's all it takes. <clears throat> you know, um, so by putting your head around that, however you get to that one person or that one yes that's going to fund you you never know like your film um that you created might strike a chord with somebody like oh my god i always wanted to make a film like that and i'm really rich you know or whatever it is i would love to invest into the next one i've, I've heard a lot of stories like that that aren't part of the blogosphere and um the press world uh, but they happen on a smaller scale you know, people that are just finding a, an investor or a, a group of people that are interested in what they do. So you would have to market to as many of those types of people as possible, whether or not that is through a film festival or your online strategy, you know, um, it's regardless. So like, I don't know where you are with your next project, um, but I'm guessing you're like, as any filmmaker, you're looking to create something, but then to get funding and, you know, level up, you know, it's like, right. I got to level up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of think the answer for me at least, or what I'm going to pursue is, is a little bit of everything because, you know, like film festivals are really great for, you know, getting recognition, like, you know, you had in your slide and also just meeting other filmmakers and meeting other fans and meeting other people. And I think, you know, you don't want to pull your eggs in one basket. You like, you don't want to go only online or only film festivals, but I think it's like, if you can utilize both to just create a bigger awareness for your project and, you know, just get the word out there and like create this image of, of the film, you know, that like just looks successful, like a, an image of success 
I think that's just going to help, you know? And like, even if you get into like, let's say 10 film festivals that maybe no one's ever heard of, like that still helps your image, you know? Cause like having those laurels and having that, that on the resume, it's just like, people have seen it. It's been out in the world, you know? And I mean, you're not necessarily going to meet distributor distributors there or like someone who's going to finance your film or agents. And you might not even meet that at the big film festivals. I've, I've heard plenty of people who've gotten to Sundance or Telluride or other big film festivals and, and they get there and it's the same story as the small film festivals. Like there's no one in the short film program, you know, they're all there to see the features. They're all there for the big stars or whatever. And no one's really paying attention to the smaller people, you know? Um, so, I mean, I feel like no matter where you end up, like you're going to face the same problems. And I think you just need to be aware of what the situation is as an independent filmmaker, especially with a short film and just be ready to like, just be there, be positive, meet people, show up for your movie, like promote it, get the word out, you know, and just, uh, I think just be there for your movie and then be there for other people's movies. You know, like I, I love going to film festivals and meeting other filmmakers and seeing other really cool short films or really cool features, you know, and just getting involved and uh, spreading the word on other movies that you've seen. I think that's one of the, the joys of the film festival experience for me, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's like, it's just tough. Like there's so many filmmakers and so many films being made right now. You just need to be really proactive and just really need to get your, get the word out. And like, I love this idea of going to uh, newspapers and like trying to, you know, make a connection between, you know, your movie and the community. Like, I think that's really interesting because, um, you know, I think they can be really impactful. And I mean, I think as long as the connection's there and it's not made up, of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you gotta, you know, it's funny. I had a, we had a session a couple of weeks ago um, where we talked about, I was talking to um, uh, Bojan Dubalik, uh, a filmmaker I've, I've been in contact with for the last year since I started Film Trooper. But he, we're talking about, um, you know, your film doesn't necessarily have to be good. It just has to, it has to have some value. And we talked about the infamous uh, film, The Room, which is supposed to make the worst film ever made, but it has this cult following because it provides a certain type of value, maybe communal, you know, getting people together to, uh, to enjoy in the, um, the absurdist, the absurdness of the, of the film, how bad it is, I guess, you know, this is why mystery thousand, you know, 2000, 3000 was created <laughs> since right, those guys right. could to make fun of stuff. So the, there's a concept there is you have to look at what your film has value for. And at the same time, you would ask another question, which everybody's asking, like with, with the indie film world so crowded and it feels like it's, there's so many filmmakers and so much content um, always being made, how do you stand out? And the really... To, to take it at heart is to like bring it down smaller by saying, let me just be good and focus on these, this thing for these particular people, you know, and, and let it kind of grow from there. Um, it's kind of like, it, it, it challenges you to figure out what kind of filmmaker you're going to be a storyteller. You're going to be uh, what kind of voice you have. Um, and like, again, everything we're talking here has like nothing to do with what gear you're using, you know? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So, so yeah. So that's the, the, the deeper questions are like, what voice as an artist do you have that is unique that enough people, just enough, maybe a few hundred, you know, maybe 100, maybe 10, a hundred. 
ideally you're trying to get to a thousand people. That's it. A thousand people that are just on your side or like what you do or what you have to offer that they, they see what you make as valuable and that's it. So you're not trying to, um, when you, this concept of like, you might see other stuff that happen online, like, like these articles we've talked about, you know, um, Andrew's film or this, uh, Sunday, this visual effects film, like they might get a lot more views right now. I think one of the greatest examples of a crowdfunding campaign, um, and execution, um, has been, uh, laser unicorns, uh, Kung Fury. Oh yeah. So, you know, they just they just released the announced it'll be on El Rey Network. Uh, they just released like a live streaming session, I think, in Sweden. You know, and I'll provide a link uh, again in this show notes here. I've done it before, but it's it's so wonderful to see what they've done there, and it's it's a great case study of how yeah. they've they've energized an audience to like follow this ridiculous you know 80s uh, spoof you know action sci sci-fi film and even we're able to get david hasselhoff involved with a with a record and a song you know <laughs> yeah no, i was a supporter of that of that film and uh yeah i haven't seen it yet it just released yesterday but i can't wait to watch it and yeah it's one of those shining examples of like crowdfunding and it really just turning out well for the filmmaker and, and for the fans too you know because it looks like a one kick-ass movie that they made yeah um you yeah. Know. The other one I really like, uh, are you familiar with, um, uh, I think it's called Blue Ruin. I think that's the name of it. Yeah. Uh, that's another one. They did a, ki a Kickstarter and I think they had funding from somewhere else as well. Cause it was like a $25,000 Kickstarter or something. But, uh, I love that campaign. And, and when I, if I ever do a, another Kickstarter in the future, I think that's kind of the model I'll follow is like, you know, a really short, sweet video with like some great concept art and like some, uh, a really really nice test footage and like a really clear ask. And I think, you know, that's all you can do. And, um, you know, it's wonderful to, to, to see that movie. Well, it's, it's funny cause like it had great success and it's a wonderful movie, but I think it could have been so much more. And it, you look at that movie and you're like, wow. So they made this amazing film, you know, they did everything right. They did a Kickstarter and then still they didn't get a big theatrical release. It's just like, I don't know, like what, what, what more can you possibly do these days? You know, like if you if you do that and you have like such a great piece of work and it still hasn't reached like, you know, the, the big leagues, it's like, I don't know. I mean, it just, it, it, I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting question to ask. Cause it's like, I don't know. On one hand, it's a wonderful success. On the other hand, it's like, it still didn't get onto like, you know, I think it got onto a few screens, but it didn't get onto as many screens as it deserved. Cause it's just like, you know, such a cool little short, uh, you know, independent film. But, yeah, um, it's um, it's hard to say. It's um, we we we're definitely getting more fractured as an audience because you know somebody might talk about something. Oh my god, do you do you see this or hear about this? Um, and you go, oh, I don't need, I don't even know about that world. You know, like uh, I don't know, I don't know whether or not Blue Ruin because it was definitely um, like you said. Uh, I think it was name is the, the filmmaker. I, I believe me, I don't remember his name. I think his first name started with, as a Jeremy or something. But I think they spent like two hundred fifty thousand dollars eventually, and, and he just he bled himself to death to just try to get that thing made, and then to be able to get in the Cannes Film Festival and then get picked up. And like you said, it didn't have, it didn't blow up to like you know a twelve million dollar you know release or something like that. Um, but it was very still a very solid good film. Um, but I do wonder whether or not this from an outside perspective maybe because the genre was so like uh cohen brothers uh, blood simple style right. that um 
that it didn't have a larger appeal where suddenly somebody who comes around and makes a like a Disney tween romance uh, of, you know, a girl falling in love, this awkward girl falling in love with a the, the school jock and they sing a few songs, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like right. there's there's a difference of like just market demand. It's just demand, supply and demand. And I, I also wonder if he had gotten like some sort of well-known pretty boy celebrity to star in that movie, like would would he would he have had a different outcome on the marketing side? Would would have the company that bought the film been willing to take a bigger risk on the movie if it had been like somebody who you know has some sort of markability versus like a, a relatively unknown actor, you know? Um, but I mean, I just wish people would take the risk more, you know, because like. Put, put more unknowns out there put more people who we haven't seen like let's give them let's give these movies a shot you know i yeah. know this, it's not my money obviously that i'm putting out there but i don't know i think the riskiness is is i don't know it's what like film films or studios used to do in the old days i think like they were just a little bit more willing to to just give it a shot you know um maybe partially because their their marketing budgets weren't as big back then and i don't know because it was easier to get a movie on a screen maybe i don't know but uh yeah, yeah. well it's I think it's um, like I said, because we we have information highway, uh, there's a great saying. I don't know who said this, but it's like we are drowning in information and starving for wisdom. Right. Yeah. So the thing is, is we have so much, so much, so many options and so many things to get us distracted. Uh, actually, my morning, uh, you know, jog and walk with uh, my dog this morning, I was listening to a podcast uh, on the Nerdist with Chris Hardwork's um, uh, podcast and one yeah, of many, many things that Chris does, but he was inter yeah. interviewing uh, Matthew Weiner or Weiner, uh, the creator of Mad Men. And they were talking about this thing where we have on our phones, you know, we're always, there's, it's a, it's like crack. Cause you can have just, just escape, you know, you don't have to focus as much and you just have to get back and just like, Oh, I can get distracted very easily. But Matthew was talking about how essentially we're getting to a place where there's going to be another sort of transcendental like movement, uh, metaphysical movement of just where people just need to calm their minds down because there's so much information that just need to push away everything just so you can have a moment, a, just a moment of peace and a, a quiet thought and some wisdom. So media film that we're creating we're asking a lot from an audience because we're asking them to invest their time and time is feeling like one of the most valuable commodities right now in the world of, of, of overload information so with that said it's important for filmmakers to understand to to be very very respectful of the audience audience's time so that whatever they put forth um they're doing their best to serve an audience and to provide value and get creative in all those different ways. Like I said, like if you're not taking your film to a film festival and you need to create some social proof, some validity, maybe, you know, you just have to look at what you have in your own small little world and provide value to maybe the immediate people in front of you or your immediate community. The interesting thing about Blue Ruin, it was neat because it kind of gave you a, a, a taste of the, of the Carolinas or Virginia or wherever they were in the East Coast. You know, right. being on the West Coast, you don't see that as much. I've seen a lot of films from Atlanta, Atlanta filmmakers, and it's really fantastic to see the cultural differences of the, you know, because you're in Oakland, you see it all over the place. But, you know, we're, we get some bombarded with uh, the, the studio system where everybody's so pretty and the majority of them are all white, you know. Right. 
But when you get to see something different, you don't know what it is, but if it's, if it's constructed well enough, uh, to see like a, a window into that world, it's uh, very refreshing and go ahead. I'm sorry. You're going to say something. No, yeah, I was just, yeah, I love that, and I and I think that's um, as independent filmmakers, since we have the ability to do whatever we want when we're making our projects, like I think we should be showing more of the world than what Hollywood is showing, because like you're right, it's very whitewashed, you know. Um, mm -hmm. There's only a certain type of actors who are getting the chance to to be put in the spotlight, and I think when you can do whatever you want, yeah, feature a more diverse cast, like you know, be more, um, you know, like adventurous with your protagonists and your stories, like go in directions that we don't see, you know, in movies as much. And, and I'm trying to do that myself. And I don't know if I'm going to actually succeed or if I'm succeeding, but I'm at least I'm giving it a shot, you know, um, like my next, my next film brother, uh, we have a very diverse cast, you know, I was lucky enough to get um, a fairly well-known comedian from the East coast to uh, star in it. His name's Capone Lee. Um, he's not as well known out in the West coast, but I think in New York and Atlanta, I think Houston, he's, he's got a pretty good following. Um, but yeah, he was he was kind enough to give me a shot and, and be in my little short film. And, you know, I got um, another actor I've worked with before. David O'Donnell from Strange Thing is in it. And then uh, this uh, local actress, Desi Soleil, who's relatively new. I think this is maybe her second or third short film. And she was fantastic. And, you know, I think the look is is going to be quite different than what you see in, in most movies. And uh, I'm really excited that I was able to do that, you know, and I think that um, hopefully if, if more filmmakers start to you know continue i know that i'm not the first one to do this there's lots of short uh, independent filmmakers doing the same thing but i think if we continue to do this hollywood's going to take notice and we're going to start to see some different types of movies being featured you know on the big screen and like you know given the bigger budgets and given the bigger marketing campaigns and the wide releases and, and all that stuff that would be the dream too but i think i mean from like from a cynical like a, from an outside perspective i think that I wrote a, I remember writing a, a blog post for Film Trooper uh, a while back. It was like the the the, be, the best advice the, the Uber independent filmmaker can get is to do the opposite. For so whatever Hollywood does, do the opposite, because you you don't want to make like a romantic comedy that with like some local actors that um, you know that nobody knows about. I mean, you can, but the reality is is that if you're going to compete in the same marketplace and so, if a viewer on iTunes is going to look at like, I don't know any of those people, but I do know, you know, Kate Hudson and all these people, you know, it's like, right. but if they see an independent film, like that looks so bizarrely different. That's like it, it like the diversity of cast versus and the subject matter, or maybe the trailer communicates very clearly that this is a, a different beast that somebody would like watch and, and spend their time on. Um, that's something that Hollywood can't compete in. So if you're, you know, we're going to the marketplace. The thing about like um, putting your film onto iTunes or anything like that, you are it's a it's an it's a even playing field. So somebody spending time on a, a weekend searching through what movies they want to see, you know, obviously they only see the top um, studio films that are being pushed their way. Um, but if they do come across like a recommended uh, that is so different because that's what they're looking for. Um, that's really one of the advantages the Uber independent filmmaker has, which is like, like you said, take the chances, go opposite of what Hollywood is doing and sort of push the boundaries because one, you're really just trying to find your voice and be re a real clear point of view. Like the stylistically as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, they go, 
yeah, I don't know what it is, but the way that person puts their their film together or the message they put together, I'm digging and it's I'm not seeing any of that stuff coming out of Hollywood. And you might it only might um, hit strike a chord for a small audience like, you know, maybe a thousand. Like I say, you're only trying to get maybe a thousand people. But if that thousand grows to 10,000, 20,000. Um, then you level up from there. You're mentioning that your next film, you were able to get uh, this well-known East Coast um, comedian. Did having a strange thing finished, um, do you think did that help uh, secure this guy's trust in your filmmaking ability? Um, I think a little bit. Uh, I think more, it was just kind of a crazy thing. Like I approached him at one of his shows that he was here locally and uh, you know, I think he gave me a shot just because I was enthusiastic and I had good energy is what he told me later, you know, and uh, he didn't even watch my film until, you know, we were already like well, well into the process. So I think it should have. And, and, <laughs> and it actually is the reason why. So this this pro, pro, uh, this project, brother, I was able to, to do with a local producer who I've known for a few years. But uh, the reason why he agreed to work with me on this project was because of Strange Thing, like, you know, He'd known I've been doing video projects and like he's, you know, he'd seen some of my work. But when he saw Strange Thing, that's when he was actually excited to work with me because he was like, oh, man, this is like, you know, high production values. Like you did this on your own. Like, I can't believe that you did this while you had a full time job, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that was what got him involved. And, and honestly, like I couldn't have made that movie with, without him. I mean, you know, he brought in like a lot of the crew and some of them I, I, I brought in as well. And we both knew. But. I mean, it really wouldn't have been what it was without uh, without his support and in, in, in him producing it, you know. So, yeah. I mean, I think definitely, like, it definitely there was growth there. Like, strange thing did lead to brother, and I and I definitely couldn't have made brother. Like, I'm still editing it right now, but I couldn't have done that shoot if I hadn't have made strange thing first, you know. Yeah. And I hadn't taken the time to 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 go out and you know go to all these film festivals and meet all these other filmmakers and you know, have the journey that I've had, like, it just wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it, you know, like, I just like the experience, that experience was what allowed me to do, you know, what I'm doing now, you know, yeah, so I think it's really important to grow. And that's why I wanted to make another short film before I did my feature, because originally, I thought like, oh, yeah, I'll do strange thing. And then I'll go to some film festivals, I'll meet a distributor, and I'll get an agent and I'll be, you know, funded and making my, my feature like that was kind of what I thought in my head. And then while I was going through the process, I kind of realized after my second or third film festival that that's really not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. um, and and I didn't didn't I wasn't really disconcerted. I was just like, oh, OK, like the, this is there's a learning a learning process this is a learning curve for me. And then I just decided, like, OK, well, what I need to do, like, so I just started writing and working on it and I have my feature ready to go. It's just, you know, I didn't want to just be one of those filmmakers like, oh, I made this movie three years ago. And now I've got my feature and I'm trying to raise money. I was like, no, I got to keep on making stuff. I got to keep on producing. I got to keep on growing as a, as a filmmaker and an artist. So that was sort of why Brother was important to me to make. One, I had this story that I thought was really fascinating. And then two, it's just like, I want to get better. You know, I want to keep on making stuff. I want to grow into the filmmaker I'm going to be in like five years or whatever. So, you know, I just think it's important just to stay, stay hungry and stay busy and just keep on, keep on making stuff, you know, and it's so easy. Like there's no excuse to not make a movie now. Like yeah. you're saying, like, you know, you can do it on an iPhone. You can do it. Like I'm, everybody has a 5d. You can just go out with a 5d, get, get a sound guy in your local community to come out and, you know, just make it happen. Like people really want to make movies. 
And I think, you know, if you start asking around, like you'll, you'll be able to get a group together. And, you know, as long as you're all on the same page and you're all interested in making the same kinds of stories and you're not going to have any problems, I don't think, you know? Yeah. Well, that's why I was, it's interesting because you were talking about the first question was, do you take your film to a festival or not? And I think it's just being very, very clear what you want to get out of the experience or the result. Um, the fact that just make anything like it helps you uh, open doorways and or opportunities. It, get, it creates it creates opportunities that you didn't know existed and you always get a chance to level up. So the fact you made something, you made something, you got out there, you connected and and then lo and behold, it sets you up for the next project and you and you hopefully you can see the bigger career path in front of you of how to level up. The interesting thing about um, um, uh, Andrew Allen was his name again. Sorry. <laughs> the, yes. Uh, for the Thomas Beale uh, cipher, Andrew Allen. So Andrew, he mentions uh, what they learned. They, he, they were not expecting, they did all their work to do the launch to get as many views as possible with their short film online, but they were not ready for the all of a sudden going you know gangbusters like just taking going viral because then everybody was asking him like what do you have next he's like oh my god i don't have anything next and this is a age-old uh problem or story you've heard about people that find success um and they're not ready for it um, because usually that's what happens with the industry uh, leaders or people in the industry they're always asking well what do you got next so whatever project you're doing if you know you have to have a launch, you have to, you know, there's stages like, okay, I got to get, make sure that we push this short film or this feature film. We're going to do it online. We're going to follow the steps. We're going to use an eight week window to do as much promoting and push, you know, pushing views or, you know, the, to, to get this result and be ready for if there's an opportunity where somebody says, what do you have next to have a game plan to capture the, the heat, you know, cause in that, in Hollywood, that's how it kind of works. It's like somebody or some project has heat, you know, just to have a lot of attention and, and either deals are made or not made within that, that period of time that uh, someone has heat or a project has heat. But as soon as it goes away, it goes away. And it's yeah. really, it's really difficult to get that heat back. Um, yeah. And the same could be tr uh, held true for anybody working online. You know, you might get um, the world of online entrepreneurs and business people. They, they talk about marketers. They talk about the, all these launch periods. So, which is a reason why we have um, like a holiday every freaking weekend or some kind of event. There's always an excuse to drink, <laughs> you know, so, so like, you know, the, whatever the greeting card company, you know, the, the concept of inventing like, you know, Valentine's day or something, you know, right, it's right. like you, you find like um, there's seasonal, like certain shops, like they, they live off like uh, different seasons uh, throughout the year. Like that's going to be their highest selling point. So they build everything up for that launch or that those those sales or whatever and they try to weather the storm throughout the year as an independent filmmaker trying to build an, a film business or uh, basically building a career that's outside more than that is bigger than just your film alone you know trying to create that sustainability you kind of have to weather your storm and and try to predict and plan as much as possible for all the different case scenarios and again it's simple in concept. It is extremely difficult to to do it, you know, and which is why everybody still struggles to to make a make any sort of noise online. Right. Um, but but that leads me to my next slide and my really sort of last slide is when in doubt, the only thing to keep your sanity is 
I call serve your audience. A lot of people talk about you got to find your audience, you got to know your audience. You know, it's instead of like taking from an audience or curating an audience, just put yourself in a place of being a servant and like serving this audience, um, the audience that you want to serve and providing your talents to them. I had a, a Twitter chat. I remember one time a filmmaker was little concerned, like, wait, if you serve an audience, then doesn't your vision get compromised? Because and that's where I think the rub is, is that when you're serving an audience, by taking your ego out of it and being comfortable with your your skill set is, what your talent is, and saying, you know what, this is what I can do. This is what I know I'm comfortable doing. And there's an audience out there that may benefit from the value that I provide with my talents. And I'm going to serve them and, and, and give them something great as best as I can. When you come from a, a standpoint of like, I'm this pained artist that has like this need to get this creative vision out and I, I, I got to push it onto the world, you know, um, that can work. There's always a, an outlier story that works that way. But for the most part, it always ends on deaf ears um, because it's coming from a, a very self-absorbed place. And then you're pushing out, you know, your artwork and, then, and there's so many shouting and there's so much information and content being shouted out out on all of us online that it becomes noise as opposed to somebody going who's listening who's providing that wisdom providing that value so like say your next film it's like say i'm, I'm gonna say strange thing you know kind of remind me like say like a twilight zone thing so maybe there's people that are just still talking about certain episodes of twilight zone and then you're you find yourself organically amongst that conversation and then like you have in-depth conversation or analysis or perspective on different episodes of Twilight Zone, and then you're providing value within a community, then all of a sudden you say, oh, I was inspired by that particular episode or whatever to make this film. You're like, what? You made a film? You know, it's like now it's not like you're pushing anything. You've been a good citizen. You've been uh, you've been serving an audience. And and um, even better if you can serve your influencers because they have a bigger audience that can get you there faster. So if you when you're I guess when in doubt, when you're trying to like anybody out there just struggling, take a deep breath and ask yourself. Remove yourself from the equation as much as possible and say, how can I be of service to a particular audience that I would love to serve, you know? If so you, you like, like by like sharing links and things like that and sharing content that you find from other places online, is that what you're referring to? When yeah. You serve your audience, like that kind of thing. Like, um, let's, let's, just, let's like hypothetically, let's pick a, a, an example. Um, just out of like marathon runners, right? Right, right? People like to run marathons. So there's a lot of blog posts about like, you know, techniques, how to stay hydrated, how to deal with like downhill, uphill, long stretches, hydration, equipment, all this kind of stuff, right? And say you're making a comedy film about marathon running. So in order to serve that audience, um, you might just have to spend time uh, in these communities or online or at events, just getting, basically doing a survey. To kind of find out what people really are, are, what their pains are or what their interests are. Like there's really two things. We're trying to find out what people really desire. Like why do people want to run marathons? 
or what do they get annoyed by marathons? You know, uh, uh, what, what things are there? If you're able to listen, you can curate this information and then creatively put something out there. It could be a short film. It could be a bunch of Vine videos. It could be a blog post, uh, th things like that to get them engaged. But you're like speaking their language. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. I was just talking to my friend about, you know, the annoyance of like, um, you know, th this particular marathon and the uphill thing we have to do. And the reality is, is if you were listening, you probably, you know, it's not like you came out of nowhere and shared this. Like you took your time to listen to what the community is really saying. And so when you create something of value, it strikes a chord. So the next step is to ask yourself, how does your film, if you know you're making like a comedy about marathon running, how, how do all these things fit in? Like, will I have in the storyline aspects that are going to just strike a chord with this very specific group of people that would totally get the inside joke, you know, like, Oh my God. And if you can you double down on that and share, um, you know, share pieces of information about your film. So maybe it's um, you do like a quick like Vine video of of one scene from your film or you do like a blog post or you have some artwork, you know, or you have like a meme that you create. You know, you take you curate some famous like, you know, marathon runner or pe like pictures or stock photos and the way you whatever you put in there uh, relates to an inside joke within that community. So right. what it is is like people just that very specific audience is keen on uh, the material you share. Maybe that all you do is create silly little memes that have text on famous photos, but the, what you put in there is very specific to what they, uh, what they desire and what they are struggling with in terms of that group. So, you, because basically what you're talking about is just, if you're naturally a fan of something, like you're doing this anyway. So mm -hmm. like, you know, for me, like I'm a fan of science fiction and horror films and, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about tons of different movies online all the time, but, you know, I do t comment on, on things that I see that I like or whatever. So the fact that I'm making science fiction horror films and I love science fiction horror films, that sort of just speaks to that same thing because, you know, if I'm talking about other films that I love and then I'm also talking about the films that I'm making, I'm in fact doing that kind of same thing, I think. Yes. You know? or, and you know. No, yeah. So we were just talking about we're, we are in the age of over-information. We are drowning in information, but we are starving for wisdom. Right. That actually comes in the format of curation. So right. you don't have to be the expert of sci-fi, but you, if you can create um, uh, a place where there's discussion, where somebody comes to you, again, it doesn't have to be everybody. Just somebody online, either following you on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, or Google+, you know, in a matter of discussion, they just see that, you know what, I always like every, every Tuesday, Ulrich always posts like these funny memes or these, <laughs> or these, these funny insight things about movies that I love, you know, um, it, it just creating that consistency, but you become somebody of power when you can curate this information, because right. like when there's so much, like, I don't know what to check out, like, but if I follow you, or just like like your tweets and stuff or your posts and like you said you're not even writing like a major blog post if you're doing like a tumblr style thing we're just putting like animated gifs or gifs i don't know what how you pronounce it but you yeah. know or a little or like say the world of vine or, or instagram or anything you just pick one in that you think your audience is that is always on 
And then you just try to do something consistent, stylistically. Do you know the artist Keith Haring? Uh, no, I'm not familiar. So back in the 80s, um, very sort of very basic. Let me see if I can pr pull some uh, uh, pictures up real quick. Um, this is always, a, to me, like a great um, example of this. All right, so. Uh, okay, so I'm going to throw this real quick online just so this is helpful. Um, so you can see this stuff. This is from Google Images. So you see this, these artwork? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I say it's very, very design oriented, and it made a bunch of like you know they start making like jackets, and he's a New York artist. Um, but he had there's a lot of social cause with these very simplistic paintings and drawings that he did, Keith Haring. So if you look at this, this always strikes me as interesting. If you just looked at one image, like this image here, you could say, oh my god, my four year old daughter or like my second grade kid did this. You know, if it just if it, it just existed as one image, as right. soon as an artist does a whole body of work that has a similar look and theme and a very style, it's like it quintessentially becomes, oh, that's Keith Haring style. Now you come from just like a one off, like, oh, my, it looks like my kid can make that to all of a sudden, wait a minute, there's something much deeper going on with this artist and all the stuff that they that he creates. So, with that said, you as a curator of sci-fi films or stuff like that, maybe you're just a guy who just talks about like Stanley Kubrick films. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, but everything like every Tuesday is like you just like put like a little meme quote or like a little short clip or something. So you just become that go-to person that curates the best information. And before you know it, you know, when people are looking like, oh, wait, oh, wait, Ulrich, Ulrich, that guy Ulrich is always talking about this stuff. Let me see what he says, you know, or whatever it might be. So right. it's it's not like a far stretch when all of a sudden say like you're, I'm saying you're like a fan like Twilight Zone. And so you're just talking about, you're just curating information about deeper discussions about Twilight Zone. And all of a sudden you say, I made my film based, you know, inspired by that. So then there's a fan base that's going to be like, I enjoy the discussion because he provides value. He curates information for me because I don't have to spend time, you know, shifting through so much information. I can go to this one person who does a very good job, who is speaking the same language that it's in my head. Like they already know what's in my head, but they're putting it on, on online. And the way you do this is by taking your time listening to a community, what their pains are and what their desires are. And if you can get creatively create little bits of graphics or little videos or, or snippets or curate information that is that is speaking directly to them in these two, two worlds, both their fears and desires, then you know they become that fan. They're in that world because they believe that you're speaking to them and that you stand for the same things they stand for. So all of a sudden, when you say, I'm launching a crowdfunding campaign. I'm inspired. If you guys are with me, I'm going to make my own film. Here's my old film. You know, that provides a lot more value. And it's, and it's also in alignment. Like you are much, you're much straighter in alignment because it's not like you are talking about Harley Davidson uh, motorcycles and all of a sudden you're saying, hey, I'm making a film about Thai cooking. You know, it's like there's, there's not a disconnect. You're trying to make sure that 
if you're going to make a film, you've already spent the time curating the information and sharing conversations so that it's a, it's a no brainer. Like, oh, cool. You're making something that is awesome. I didn't even think about you. I didn't know you were a filmmaker. I just thought you were some guy who'd like to talk about Stanley Kubrick or whatever. Like, awesome. Right. So, right. but that's what I get at when I say serve your audience because yeah. and essentially you're serving yourself because you, you take a step back. You're like, if I'm a fan of this, what would I love for somebody to do? And that provides consistency, that has a style, that has a point of view, that has an artistic voice um, that I, you know, can connect with. And that's what I'm trying to do here with Film Trooper is I didn't know really what my voice is or what my niche was until just recently. I mean, I've been talking about Film Trooper being a place for helping filmmakers become entrepreneurs, but that's a little too vague. I realize it's much more specific. It's like I'm trying to help the uber independent filmmaker build a lifestyle business. And that's a total different thing now because I realize that my point of view and discussion is not necessarily about how you're going to break into Hollywood, you know, how you're going to make a sell it to a film distributor, you know, how you're going to get your script script seen by an agent. I mean, that's not my world that I'm interested in. I realize I'm really interested in helping at the baseline level. Like when all those things don't work, what else can you do? You as the Uber independent filmmaker um, can play by different rules and then build a sustainable business online a la the lifestyle business. And combining those two worlds together is what I've realized what Film Trooper is all about. But I'm sorry, you were going to say something. Go ahead. No, I was, well, I think I was going to say a lot of different things. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's really interesting what you're talking about serving your audience. Because I think like the way that I try to think about filmmaking, and I don't remember who said this originally either, but like, you know, if you're making your film and you're making it for yourself and like you look at what you want to see first, I think that's a really good place to start, you know? And I think you talked about this in some of your previous episodes. Like, okay, you know, if you're thinking about the movie that you want to see, like you also need to be realistic on like what you can actually make, you know, because if like, if you like $200 million blockbusters and that's like the kind of movies you want to make, you obviously as an uber independent filmmaker, you're not going to be able to do that. Like you're not going to be able to do that even as like, you know, even if you did have an agent and you're just starting out as a filmmaker, you still wouldn't be able to do that. Cause like no one's going to give you $200 million to make your first movie. Yeah. Unless you're like, you know, some crazy random example, which, does happen and it's it's unfortunate i think <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but yeah i mean i think it's really important to just like you know have a vision of what you want to see and like the kind of movies that you like and like shoot for that and like you know that audience hopefully will exist out there already and if you've done your homework like you're saying and you go out there and you're going on these blogs and websites and you're seeing that this audience does indeed exist you're probably already in a pretty good shape and, and as long as you're vocal about yeah, like the kinds of movies you like and you're you're engaging with the audience before you even have an idea for your movie. If you're just talking about the kind of movies that you would want to see, I think you're right. Like that might be a, a useful thing. But it's really interesting, like finding where where is Uber Independent f- Filmmaker going to like, what is that going to look like in five years from now? Because, I mean, I think that movies are getting cheaper and cheaper to make, you know, like people can make movies for like, yeah, $500 $1,000, $10,000. Like when I was going to these film film festivals last year, like I met these filmmakers, they, they put together really wonderful, like um, it was like a romantic comedy. I think they said their budget was $14,000 and they shot it in like eight days or something. Mm-hmm. And like, 
I think I don't know if they found distribution yet, but I think they did. And it's like I don't know what they they obviously wouldn't be able to say what their deal is, but I mean I'm sure it was more than you know, or at least at least around fourteen thousand dollars. So they make their money back right off the bat. And then there you go. And I think that that's probably one thing to be thinking about, you know, if you are like as an uber independent filmmaker is like how low can your budget be, you know, and still create something that's true to your vision. And that's something that, you know, you'd want to see and other people would want to see too. Yeah. Um, You you brought up interesting, um, like for me personally, like so, so I made this film, The Cube for $500 without a crew. And it's a feature film. It's not even a short film. And then I was asked like, Hey, now you're done with that. Are you going to try to make, you know, make something a little bit more expensive, you know? <laughs> and I, I found myself like, you know what? I played in the big playground, the sandbox long, uh, you know, years ago when I was working at PlayStation. So I had access to, uh, and worked in that world and it was fantastic, but something artistically, I guess, challenging for me is like my next film I'm working on again is I realize I want to see how far I can go by making my next feature film again for like $500 with just me as the crew. Um, not to take away from the story, but I feel like I haven't, I haven't been, I'm not done playing the sandbox yet. I feel like there's, there's more that I can do that challenge, challenges me as a storyteller and a filmmaker within the constructs of this very, very strict, you know, um, guidelines. And, um, and we were talking about like serving your audience. So what I learned from this particular film, it had no discernible, like strong genre. Like I couldn't say to you, this is a zombie film, you know, you're like, Oh, I got it. You know what I mean? Like this was like kind of more metaphysical tied into like a suspense thing, but it was kind of loose. Um, so the next film going into it, I was like, okay, so what did I learn my mistakes? Like, you know, this wasn't like a, like a super seller, but because I made it so cheap, I didn't go into debt. I actually, if, if your definition of a, of a successful filmmaker is someone who can make their money back or their investors money back, you know, then that would be successful film. Well, this would be more than a successful film because I made a profit, <laughs> not a big profit, not enough to live, you know, the life of luxury, but enough to go, Hmm. What if I do the same thing, but I apply the things that I did all wrong, but try to do the right things? Like, number one, uh, let's not get too heady and just be straight up like, let's make a scary film. That's it. Like, you know, that's it. And so what I've done is like uh, spend time just reading articles and reading people's comments on all these different um, uh, online communities that follow people that follow the paranormal people follow horror films people that follow uh, ghosts you know sightings or the, the discussions about ghosts and I just spend time just like seeing what people are saying and what's that done is like I haven't engaged I haven't said anything yet I just been somebody who is trying to be a good listener and it got me thinking it, it spurred my creativity to go you know what my film needs because this is what they need is that it has to be, uh, I need to create a very unique villain. I need to create a folklore, you know, it, that sounds obvious, but you, you know, you can see like in the storytelling process, like I'm making a scary film. Let's just make a demon attack like this person. But then you realize like, I don't know anything about the demon. Like what's their backstory? Like I almost need to create this whole world. So when I went to the American film market at the pitch conference, uh, Tobin Armbrus, who's the executive uh, of uh, Worldwide Media, said, "Like, if you're going to play in that world and that genre of scary films, you have to you have to make the villain, per, you know, more important than anything any of the other protagonists. 
like the villain, the antagonist has to be so unique and so special that it's memorable because that's what they build the franchises off of. Right. Your Jason, your Mike Myers, your Freddy Krueger, your um, the the guy from Saw, you know, the the clown character, right. you know, all those jigsaw. So that's important. Not to say it's going to be a slasher film like that, but you have to make the villain very unique. So in the process of doing that, it's fascinating to see just what happened just recently online. The the new meme that's taken the internet, Vine world and Instagram world by storm, which is, uh, you know, Charlie, Charlie. It's the whole take two pencils and you put them on top of each other and you put, you know, yes and no on both boxes. And it's like kind of like a Ouija board. And so this thing just took off like literally this past week. And uh, the, the co-producer I'm working with sent me this. He goes, have you seen this? And that's exactly the concept there is like there's an online audience looking for this viral sort of connection with sort of like this paranormal fun, you know, cheap thrills. And then, and then people made a lot of great sort of parodies of it. You know, anything that becomes popular on viral, it's the greatest um, compliment to have a bunch of like spoofs made of it right away. Oh, and then, yeah. so um, that gets you in the right minds, mind space, <clears throat> my head space and mindset, because you as a creative person, are not creating something in a vacuum. You are responding to like, my God, look what people are, you know, are really eating up here. What can I create that's going to be unique enough that's going to be of service to them, but also service to me? Because I feel like as a creative person, it's like, I wonder if this will take off. If I created this story about this particular demon or whatever, and I put the, I put it out there in different ways, um, will it get the same response or will it take off? You know, because this is like even before you make your film, you can even see if the villain that you're creating has any legs. Because like I can put it out there like in different, you know, maybe a Vine video or like blog post or like, you know, a, a meme or anything like that to create sort of uh, interest and see what people respond to. Um, and if they don't respond to like they go back to the drawing board and go, well, that was a terrible villain, you know. <laughs> Well, how do you know if you're even reaching people with what you're doing, you know, because like you could create a really cool villain and then like you, you just shoot, shoot it out there, you know, but like maybe it would it would connect if people saw it. But like, how do you know that you're people well, are actually getting to see it? Well, check this out. If I say I created the Charlie Charlie thing, it, this is some folklore or some Internet thing that some kids started which is based off like a Mexican demon. That's the, that's the folklore that's on online, but there's other, there's okay. two, there's two other, uh, like internet meme folklore. This is the slender man. Yeah. But, slender man. Yeah, he's got like no face, you know, and he just sits there and he doesn't anything. And then it was made super popular, like a video game, you know, uh, oh, yeah. like some of the YouTube stars playing it. And then like uh, the, the kids just took, took it and ran with it. And then some guys made like a, a slender man movie. The whole point was they didn't make they didn't create the character. They just decided like, oh my God, there's this huge viral thing going on with the Slender Man. Let's just make our own independent movie based on the Slender Man. And then there's also Jeff the Killer. This is this this another meme. If you talk to kids, they all know about Jeff the Killer. They're scared of it. So this is, you know, the Jeff the Killer's in your closet or something like that. So these are the types of things. Like nowhere did anybody make a movie. Like just like throwing up like an image that you could create up in Photoshop or you draw or you take some photos and in Instagram, anything that can sort of create this feel of what perhaps this villain is or what the folklore is. Um, you can see years ago if uh, somebody create like the Bloody Mary myth, you know, you could totally see because you see that online, like a bunch of kids like I'm going to play do the Bloody Mary chant. Here I go. Bloody, Bloody Mary, Bloody, Bloody, you know, in the mirror, you know, and see and somebody does something online. 
I mean, we're that's stuff that we can accept. So that's how what I'm saying. It's it's uh, in the business world they call it like the MVP, the minimum viable product, creating something so inexpensive, but you're testing the market. You know, you're just you're throwing it out there to see what what sticks and what doesn't stick or what takes off. Um, so that's what I'm saying is like you don't have to go full bore and create like a like a full end movie, but you can test the ideas creatively in in various formats, written blog posts, uh, animated gifts, you know me uh you know in, uh, just still pictures with graphics or something you know text on it anything you can do to sort of get the creative juices flowing and to test it out with an audience that already exists and you could do it so they call it in the world of uh, jeff walker who creates the product launch formula he calls it the shot across the bow i mean you've got to create something just so people like ding it hits their brain a little bit they might not know where it connects to but if they see it again and they get the impression again, like they see the same thing over and over. And then a year later, a movie comes out and like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing about that folklore. Like, I, I guarantee you somebody's going to make a, a movie about Charlie Charlie. So, right. you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, because there's enough like social psychology out there where people think like, ah, yeah, I remember hearing something about that. Look at this. There's a movie, you know? Yeah. Well, I wonder, but like the, my my question is like, so who owns Charlie Charlie? Does they want to own it, or does like no? It's up to somebody else to just say, hey, I have a copyright on this, or write a script and then put their copyright and then they own it or something, or like urban legend. Work? I think it's urban, just urban legend. You you just create something. Urban legend. Okay. Mm -hmm. urban legend, like the Slender Man. I don't know where that thing started. Nobody really does either. I don't think so. And the guys who made a movie, it's not like they had a license. It's just, or they made a Bloody Mary movie or the Ouija mm -hmm. board movie. It's um. The only person who has like rights to the Ouija board is like I think Parker Brothers if you use their board, but right. the, but the whole point is like you take something of common knowledge or whatever it might be, and then you create something from that. I'm saying in the scary movie or the sci-fi or like a any film that you get yourself involved with, taking time to be a good citizen within that community, and again sometimes it's not saying anything at all. It's just being a really good listener and, and kind of figuring out like, you know what this group of people really need or what they really want? And they're not really outward, outwardly saying it, but based off all the feedback that they, they give, it's like, man, you know, somebody really, this group of people would really just probably go crazy if I created something like this. Right, that, right. And that's what you need to ask yourself. And, and again, why you would want to serve an audience. And, um, and that'll, and by serving an audience and getting feedback, you're like a you know a stand-up comedian. A stand-up comedian lives to be on that stage, hearing laughs. That right. is just that 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 is uh, fuel for his soul or her soul. Right. So as filmmakers, we need to have that, you know, periodically. We can't just live in a vacuum and then push our our film out to the world and then get rejected or get you know or you know <laughs> whatever it might be. It's like right. we need that constant sort of support all the way through. So that's why that's that is my big my my big takeaway is why you would want to serve an audience and 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 take your ego out of it. What? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. My other question was just like so. Once you have your MVP, like you know, and I, I don't know, would you even could you consider a short film to be an MVP? Was or, or yeah. is that is that something completely different? You know, or is it its own entity? You know, I think it all depends. Like short films, like look at if you're really. The tools, it's crazy. Somebody can create a short film over a weekend. I mean, they're doing these 48 hour, you know, film festivals. I mean, it, could, right. it, it totally can be done, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, um, 
it all just depends. Like if the, if the, you know, I put it this way, I've been, I kind of just been watching a lot of Vine videos lately. I don't even know what's gone on. It's uh, the other, honestly, the other night, um, because we have Apple TV, we were able to like use AirPlay and you, th you can toss whatever's on your phone or your iPad onto your big screen TV. Right. And, you know, this is a night we're, you know, after like watching Game of Thrones or whatever it is, my daughter's like downstairs and I wanted to show her some, some really quick, funny thing from one of the Vine uh, stars. And it was like a collection of like the best of Vine of this particular guy. Um, I forget his name, but um, my goodness, we were, it was like a half hour long that we could have just stayed and watched the whole thing. We got through like 10 minutes of it before she had to go to bed. But there we were as a family laughing our heads off, being thoroughly entertained by these six second little movies that were just one after another, boom, 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 boom. They were so funny and you couldn't wait. Like some of them were better than others. Like it'd be like a little, like a lull and all of a sudden like uh, three of them in a row were just so hilarious. And we, we came out of that and my daughter was jazz. Like she's like so jazz. She's following the guy now, like being on Vine. She's, she's sharing these quick snippets. Um, so when we say the world of filmmaking and short film, you know, like when we say short film, like are they a micro film? you know, like a really tiny one like that. And there's a whole art form to it of telling the story that could share the same idea creatively. So whatever the sci-fi thing you have, you know, maybe you have a series of very, very short, 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 short films, these micro films that kind of just give enough of a sense of what your film is about that you can get audience reaction from. Cause you, you just want, that's the whole point of the MVP is like, just put enough out there that you can get customer feedback. Cause this is like software developers. Software developers need to know like, is this software that I build, if I put it out there, would anybody want to pay for it? And if so, what bugs or thing or missing features that we don't have in there that they want to see in there? So the concept of a software developer is like, like Instagram was famous because they thought Instagram was going to be one thing and they stripped everything down to be like, let's just make it a single camera sharing photo app with a few filters. Th their original goal was to be so much bigger. But because they got audience, you know, customer feedback, they reduced the features to make very simple. And again, this is an excellent example of somebody, a company that said, there's so much noise and so many options out there. There's something beautiful about having something so simple and so clear what it does that it just takes off and then yeah. sells, sells for billions of Facebook. So you as a filmmaker, an Uber, Uber independent filmmaker could help calm down the noise of the internet. If you can focus on whatever the theme of your story, the through line of your story, the message that you're that you've drawn in the sand and saying, this is what I'm trying to communicate and I can do it in the most, you know, simplest forms. So people are like, I get that concept, you know, I, you know, anyway, that's that's what I mean by MVP serving right. the audience. Right. And whether or not a short film is going to answer that need or that value for that particular audience, you're you're. Um, shooting for it's it's remains to be seen like right. the, how many times have you heard these stories where somebody builds something they spend a lot of money the the production value is really high you know and then only a few people respond to it and then around the corner somebody just took an iphone and just recorded like their cat jumping into a windowsill and they you have know, like the, millions of hits yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you're just like, ah, you know like you could have created this whole stage thing with like the camera on like a you know um 
a slider. It's like on a drone or whatever it might be. Right. And, but the performance of the cat doesn't live up to the, the cat that's getting more views than you because somebody just caught it. The, the instantaneous, you know, opportunity of something funny happened. Yeah. Um, well, it happens so, all the time in marketing, you know, like I, yeah. I work in corporate video and like, you know, you always get approached by companies like, Oh, we have this viral video idea. We're going to make this, we're going to get tons and tons of hits and they spend like, you know, 10,000, $20,000 making this video. And then, it gets online and it gets like, you know, 200 hits or something. Yeah. You know, it's just like, because you can never know what's going to go viral. You know, you never know what's going to like react to an audience. And then yeah. it's also just pushing it out too. I think, you know, like, cause you can make a great, great video, but if it doesn't find an audience or you don't find the audience for the video, then, you know, there's no, you know, it doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah. It's true. Like, um, you know, for instance, like this, Here's the failure about film marketing Fridays. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm going to share this. So I remember reading something about um, what makes things viral. And there's this concept like putting the word Friday in there. When uh, that woman, that little girl's uh, video, Black, what's her name? Black. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Uh, Friday video, Friday, Friday, you know, right. like um, because it put the social norm when people were like, I am ready to clock out of work. I'm ready to have fun. And then you can get like spam, like Rick rolled with the Friday song or whatever it was, you know? Right. So there's this, and it just kind of rolled off the tongue, film marketing Fridays, film marketing Fridays. And I really wanted to explore the, the medium of Google Hangouts, live Google Hangouts to have these sessions. Um, but I know exactly why it's not really blowing up, you know, because number one, it's on a Friday. Most people are not going to be sitting around. Uh, most people aren't you know, after long weeks of work to sit down to listen to an hour conversation or engage in an hour's conversation. Some people are, but it's not, you know, already I've kind of set myself up for a very hard challenge because it's on a Friday. Most of these sort of live sessions, maybe like a webinar sessions do better during the middle of the week, like a Tuesday or Wednesday in the afternoon, or maybe like a Sunday afternoon, just kind of knowing people's sort of, you know, uh, habits, you know, of, of entertainment. Cause right now there's a lot of people out there just screw it, man. I got to go see a movie. I'm out it's Friday night. I'm drinking, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, everyone wants to get away from their computers on Friday afternoon. Yeah. So I'm looking at this and then on the same time, um, I haven't been very consistent because, because of different guests I have on, I try to accommodate where they are. Like I'm, I've had people from New Zealand, from Brazil, from Germany, from, you know, uh, Ireland. So to get them on to, to, to have this as like West coast time, if I had a set time all the time, all the time some people can't join me live because they're asleep half across the world you know right. <laughs> so it, it becomes one of the things i it, it, the problem is that trying to service too many people you service none so if i just made a call like you know what um it's not gonna be film marketing fridays it's gonna be film marketing tuesdays you know <laughs> right exactly. film marketing, and it's always gonna be at three o'clock eastern i mean or pacific right. that's it every time and then i just double down on it just like keith herring did with his his artwork you know he, it was consistent he stayed consistent and had a, a, a tone to it i need to make that draw that sand line that line in the sand and say guess what it's i'm wrapping this all up i'm relaunching the show and i could do that you know it's like that'll probably be more successful by announcing that i'm going to have a new launch of the show but then i've got to deliver week in and week out and have a very sort of set format to the show so people get comfortable knowing like, you know, oh, yeah, 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 Tuesdays, every Tuesday at this time, Scott's doing his thing. And if I miss it, I can catch it on this link, you know? Right. Um, I've been, like, I'm aware of it just because I know it. 
doesn't mean there's still all these things I have to do to apply myself to make the changes. And right, but, don't, but don't you, you have it on a podcast, right? So don't you release it? Yeah, I do. At the same time on a podcast every week or something. You know? I do. Yeah. So yeah. It, <laughs> that's that helps. I too. Yeah, I mean, I was looking for a filmmaking podcast, and that's how I came across this podcast. And you know, there's a lot of filmmaking podcasts out there. It's just it's it's funny. I think it's hard to to sift through all the different options, you know, and like which ones are actually going to be about filmmaking and which ones are just about, you know, more like entertainment news, right? Like yeah. or or like reviews or or gossip or whatever, you know? Because I've I've been trying to find more and more podcasts like this, and like I'll either find ones that are old and like you know done with, or ones that are just like review and interview podcasts, yeah. which are great. But you know, I already listened to like four or five of those. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, there's a deeper question. It's 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 interesting. It's, like. I knew that I was going to average. I was getting to uh, spread thin. So I was like, well, I love doing the podcast. Um, you know, once in a while, I'll do the interview series, like the more Skype call. Um, but the for the most part, I was just going to kind of double down and just do these uh, film marketing Fridays. I enjoy them. I enjoy talking to just regular filmmakers like yourself that are trying to work out the problems and ask these very specific questions. I get more uh, value and benefit out of it. And I hope the people that listen to the show as well. Uh, get that too um and but like i said i'm kind of aware of like how i could double down and restructure the the show to make it even more viral and it's probably something i'll have to do it's like i know i have to do it but applying yourself where does that where does that come into so many things that you're doing when you're running solo like okay i'll i'll get that eventually right now I got to sell my sell this book <laughs> or right. really what it is is like I'm trying to get everything squared away so I can finish the next film and get on the next film and share my experiences by saying like, hey, so I made this film. Here's all the things I did wrong with it. And this is the next film and everything that I'm I'm going to try to do right based off everything that everyone else is telling us. But let me just be a crash test dummy for you guys and show you what's working, what's not working. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. To me, I think it's just like, you know, picking the thing that you can do because like, you know, there's so many things as an independent filmmaker that you could be doing or even should be doing, you know, like all like the social media thing stuff, all the marketing things you could be doing, the blogs, like the website, you know, but I think to me, like what I want to be doing as a filmmaker is just making films, you know, um, but I think when you're in this position, you do have to do a little bit of everything because that's the only way people are going to know who you are and your films are going to get out there. So I'm really glad that you're out there, you know, with Film Trooper and doing the Film Marketing Fridays because it's like I get to know like what what things I could be doing to like, you know, reach my audience and build my audience and serve my audience and all those things. You hit you just thank you so much, by the way, but you just said what is like a burning pain for a lot of uber independent filmmakers, which is. I just want to be the filmmaker. Like, is there a way that basically, is there a way that I don't have to do all this stuff, but have success? Because all the experts are saying, you got to build your audience from the beginning. So I'm in this crossroad of like, that is like my mission. Like everything I just like where we're sharing earlier today is, is there a more fun way, a more fulfilling way to engage through the audience building, the marketing? Um, so it's not, cumbersome that it just feels like it's organically interwoven to the creative filmmaking process 
which is why I was talking about the curation of serving your audience. Because if you're talking about it anyway, if you are, you know, sharing thoughts about different films you just saw, if there's a way to harness that, knowing that you just enjoy having the conversations or enjoy sharing with people the same things that you're interested in, then it doesn't feel like work. It feels like a joy. And then all of a sudden, it it helps spurs your uh, creativity to create your next film and you already have a built-in audience and because you've kept your alignment very focused like you're not all over the place and then then I, there's another challenge which is whether or not you can create a very effective marketing plan and sales plan for a film product um when you have built no audience like <clears throat> a lot of filmmakers be like great everybody's telling me that I should have done everything like, you know, two years ago and I didn't do it. So what now? You know what I mean? So I believe there's still a solution out there. And, um, I'm, I plan to do that with this particular film, the cube again, because I own it. So I might as well repackage it and represent it and try to create a case study for like a 90 day, uh, a marketing sales plan when you have absolutely no audience, like literally starting from scratch and like no, no awareness of what you're doing and how you can make an, uh, an effective, you know, uh, impact in the marketplace. To me, that's me taking time, listening to a lot of uh, artists and uh, filmmakers talk about this stuff. There's a definite need for something like that to be created. And if you agree, let me know, just, you know, leave a review or hit me up at film trooper, uh, the contact page. Um, but, just because the experts saying all the experts are telling us this one thing there's, I think there's a disconnect because the reality of a lot of us, it's like, well, I'm not in that boat. How do I, how do we get around this? So that's what I'm trying to explore. I think you just need to do it. Cause like everyone it's you always hear that. Like I hear that about like, you know, <laughs> like I didn't go to AFM last year, but that, but then I was like, Oh, I might go this year. And then I talked to some, some filmmakers and they're like, Oh, well you really need to go like for four, three or four years before you can even get anywhere with AFM or whatever. And then yeah. like, I've heard the same thing with film festivals. Like, Oh, like you can't just get into so-and-so film festival. You need to be like volunteering and going there and, and, and for years before you can be a part of it or whatever. And it's like, you know what? Like, if you want to do something, you should just go do it. Like there's no, like people are going to say all kinds of things, but I think if you really have a passion for what you're doing and you really want to be involved with, you know, whatever it is, Comic-Con, uh, AFM, you know, this film festival, or if you want to just make movies, you should just go do it. Just, there's nothing stopping you. You just need to like go out there, be proactive and, and just be positive. You know, like I think yeah. that's really what's most important and not, and not and like, you know, you're saying in your thing about film festivals, like it's all me, 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 me. Like, I think if you can step away from that desire to make it a, like if you do get into your film festival, or if you do go to AFM and you take away from the me, 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 and you make it more about the films and the community, I think that's when it's going to start to open up for you because, you know, that that is what is really to be had with all these things is meeting other filmmakers and being involved with the, the, the community on a whole, you know, and like that's some of the most fun things about going to film festivals is meeting these other filmmakers and creating these relationships. And, you know, I've I've met like, you know, so many different filmmakers in my, you know, the last year when I went to those film festivals and it's those relationships and those conversations that I think is really the most value that I got out of it. Cause like, you know, now like when a filmmaker friend like doesn't get into a film festival or whatever, like they'll forward me their rejection email and then I'll forward my rejection email back <laughs> to them. It's just like, oh, like, you know, we're all we're all in the same boat here, you know? And I think it, it, it really helps fuel the fire to like keep on creating, keep on going, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So I don't know. I think it's like, you know, I think as long as you step away from like the desire to like have the spotlight on you and you just go more to support other people and other films, I think that is where like you can really find a lot of, I don't know, a lot of positive energy and, and you know, it helps bring the joy of filmmaking out in everybody, you know. Um, agreed, agreed. Yeah. But I think it's a perfect place to wrap it up. Um, yeah. Let me, uh, first off, I, I'll make sure to supply the links to your movie so people get a chance to see Strange Thing. And, yeah, please. And then also do the, the Facebook link to Brother so people can, you know, find out more about that film when it comes out. Hopefully of course. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Hey, Arlick, so much, uh, so wonderful to meet you finally. I'm sorry we get to the video part of it, but uh, I'm glad we can still hear you and, and you be partake in the uh, conversation. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate uh, all the questions that help, you know, bring to today's session. Um, yeah, and with that, course, and with that said, let me uh, jump over to my version of paying the bills. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. The, uh, so filmmakers, listen, if you're stuck trying to make your film, um, then I offer a free gear guide over at freegearguide.com. And this is an equipment list of everything that I use to make my feature film for $500 with no crew. So it's always just kind of cool to see, you know, what other people use to make their film. And you might be looking through it going, oh, my God, I have that. Oh, wait a minute. I got a better camera. I got, you know, it's 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 always worth checking out. So um, with that said, yeah, head on over to freegearguide.com. And uh, that's it for this session of Film Marketing Fridays. Um, you can always find us all the past episodes over at filmmarketingfridays.com or all the other goodies at filmtrooper.com. Arlick, thank you so much for joining me. And um, let me stop the broadcast. And uh, when you can stay on and we'll uh, just chat to say goodbye real quick. All right. All right. Thanks so much, Scott. Have a great day. All right. Thank you.